0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, we conclude our entire Empires series, which has been four parts of detailed study through the book of Romans. Pastor Andy will teach through what Romans 16 has to say about staying focused on Jesus no matter what. Enjoy the message. Welcome to our brand new series, Empires, Volume 1. There is a calling in your life not to be passive. Is the Bible your authority of of understanding God's will for your life? Do you believe that God is working on your behalf in all things? Faith has nothing to do with how you feel. Your faith is only made possible because of the grace of God alone. You have dignity and purpose because God gave it to you time is almost up. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what. How did the God that formed us out of the dust of the earth, how did he respond to the failures of humanity? God sent Jesus to the earth on a rescue mission to seek and save and to bring life to a world that was dying around him, to make a way for imperfect people to be restored in relationship with a perfect God. Kenosha City Church, we will be a place that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kenosha City Church We will be a place that strives to live in the moral will of God. Kenosha City Church, we will worship in the sovereignty of God. Kenosha City Church, we will strive for the power of the Holy Spirit to live in the wisdom of God. And Kenosha City Church, we will keep the main thing the main thing. That is to make Jesus known in this city. We will make, make the main thing the main thing. That we will love and treasure Jesus greater than anything else in our life. And anything else, we simply don't have time four. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. And that takes three years of going through Romans off and on in empires, volume one, volume two, volume three, and now volume four. We started The Sunday we came back in person uh, after the pandemic, if you remember that a long time ago, and I do have a bit more gray. I was looking at the early videos, I'm like, oh my goodness, aging, all right? So, uh, but here's the thing, a lot of things besides our own aging from the pandemic has happened, so much has happened since we've opened Empires of volume one. Well, we went through the lockdowns. We went through riots here in Kenosha. We went through election craziness. Uh, we've gone through now wars. Uh, the, the culture is weighed down. People's minds are on the brink of breaking. And it's not just here in Kenosha. It's all over uh, the Western world, if not the entire world. World, We have gone through a lot going through volume one, two, three, and four. And even though it seems like life may be on the brink, maybe personally, uh, maybe it may be on the brink uh, for you, maybe on your job or, or just maybe even in society, I want you to know I believe that it was through God's sovereign will that we were going through Romans during this time because the Roman Empire was on the brink. When Paul was writing this, Christianity was on the brink. A major persecution was about to to break out. So the instability the world has felt over these last few years, the Roman Empire felt. As we spoke last week, Paul thought he was going to visit Rome. He was ending his letter to the Romans saying, hey, I'm going to visit you and I'm going to be refreshed by you. But instead... He would be arrested and he would spend time in Rome alone under house arrest and eventually beheaded by the Roman Emperor Nero. You know, if there's one thing that we've seen over these last three years is in the book of Romans, Paul was consistent that the gospel means everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. Paul was consistent and if there's one thing I want us to be consistent here at Kenosha City Church is that the gospel is going to be our foundation. The gospel changes everything. The gospel must be our conviction that it changes everything. Amen. That is going to be our unwavering unwavering conviction. So let's do a little review if you're brand new and you're like, oh boy, I, I'm going to be in the last few verses of the book of Romans. I, yes, let's do a little review. Let's get you caught up, all right? So buckle up. Chapter 1, uh, we see Paul uh, start off the, the letter to the Roman church with the explicit need, our explicit need, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are in a mess. and without the, And we're without excuse, by the way. In fact, he says in in Romans chapter one that that we can just look up into the sky, we can see that creation. Uh, It it screams your creator. The first chapter also speaks to a life without God will lead to a life that is filled with dishonorable passions, whether it be sexual or envy or gossipers or slanderers or or boastful people, some of the things he names. In chapter two, he moves on, he says, he he speaks about how man-made religion does not save. In fact, that's the majority of religions around the world, the majority, excuse me, of, of even the church. Uh, they, they speak of some kind of self-made religion. will get you to heaven, but Paul says in chapter 2 explicitly, uh, man-made religion will not save. Uh, chapters 3 and 4 uh, speaks that we are justified by Christ alone, apart from good works. Chapters 5 and 6 reminds us that we have peace with God, that we are justified by his grace, by his undeserved favor. And that we have victory over our sin through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are dead to sin, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you no longer have to obey every beckon of temptation, every desire and want that you know that is not of God. Romans chapter 7 reminds us that even though a person may have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone, there is still a spiritual battle. You may be a, a follower of Christ today and you might be wondering why why am I still facing these temptations? or why am I in this situation in my life? Because we are still in a spiritual battle. Your old habits and desires are still there. sin and its, and sin and its desires is a battle and that to win the battle, it's not found in yourself. It's not, it's not finding your true self as society says. Oh, just find your true self and you'll be liberated. and You'll feel so good. Listen, you might feel good in a moment, but it's not your salvation. It's only in Christ alone, which leads us then to what many call the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter, it says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what, if you're in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many need to hear that this morning? How many of you've come into the doors today and you're like, man, I just can't shake off what had happened in my past. Or man, I I just can't shake what has been said over me. I just can't shake it, but I want you to know what can shake it. The gospel of Jesus Christ says there is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Christ is your hope. If you've placed your faith in him alone, you're secure, your identity is not in your bankruptcy, your broken relationships, your failure, or even your death. It is the victory in Jesus. Romans 8 goes on and says that our present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. It goes on in 831. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one can accuse, but it is Christ who has interceded for us on our behalf. How beautiful Romans chapter 8 is. Romans 8, 31 says this, Now in all things, I'm going to put this on the screen. Now in all things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church, right? Chapters 9 through 11 uh, we see God's eagerness to save those who are far from him. Chapter 12, we see those who have placed their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ are to become more like Christ. The gospel is to change us. I believe the great error is that we think that we can just uh, know something, but it needs to change us. Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship so do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good pleasing and the perfect will of God people don't know the will of God today because they are not choosing to be obedient to the revealed commands of God we talked about that last week Chapter 13 speaks on how to live the gospel in a secular society. Chapter 14 speaks how to live for the gospel in the gray areas. It's not about living for yourself or what can I get away with, but it's like, God, how can I give you maximum glory in everything that I do? Romans chapter 15, as, uh, as we've been going through the last few weeks, few weeks speaks about how the gospel should, never, uh, should be a never-ending mission. And how easy is it? And we're gonna talk about this in our next series as we go through the book of Titus. It's so easy for the church to descend into a social supper club. A group of elites, the have and the have nots. Listen, that's not the church. That has become church culture. The church is this, uh, not perfect people, uh, placing their faith and trust in Jesus and being renewed in Jesus Christ. We are not perfect people, but people being made what church? Made new. And finally, we get to chapter 16. Paul ends Romans in chapter 16 the same way he started, with his confidence in Jesus. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. We've made it to the end. Let's take a look at it. Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and proclaim about Jesus Christ according to the revelation of my mystery kept silent for long ages, But now revealed, made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all Gentiles to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever. Amen. Paul ends Romans by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through what is called a doxology. He ends Romans the same way he began Romans, praising and leading people to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul ends Revelation with a doxology. It's a short song of praise, usually reserved for the end of a hymn or a psalm or a scripture. What happens is is that Paul has been, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing a treatise for the church to understand how to be in right relationship with God and each other and how to function as a church. And at the end, he just can't keep back the praise. A doxology of of praise of God just just bursts forth and we see it uh, penned in verse 25 through 27. I mean, have you ever had that in life? Where a doxology just takes over. Uh, You go through a situation and you can't but help praise God and I know it's easy to praise God when we're all singing together and there's a band up here and there's words on the screen and that is appropriate. We are to worship and praise God. We're to come into the church, not to give God our leftovers, but to give God our first and our best. But going through life, has there ever been a moment where you're just so in awe and you're, remind, you're reminded of who our good God is and you just can't help but praise? You can't help but just start singing or, or, or just thanking God. Have you ever had a moment like that? If you haven't you should man god wants you to understand just how blessed you are in him and that's exactly what happened to paul we often let the circumstances of the things of life blind us to the praise that is due of almighty god and the blessings that he's given us so in every season in a year and week and day an hour and second uh, we need to live our lives for jesus By his gospel, his good news, his truth, his ways, his compassion, his grace towards you and others. Our entire life needs to be one long expression of the goodness of God and how God is mighty to save through Jesus Christ. Every summer, uh, my parents, when I was little, uh, would send me and my siblings off to the grandparents for a few weeks. Uh, How many parents have done that uh, in here. You know, you send the kids off, go to the grandparents for a couple of weeks, right? And uh, some of the dads, it's being Father's Day, you're like, yeah, right? I know that's probably what my dad was doing. Like, All right, peace and quiet in the house. And, and my grandparents, they would often plan different activities. They lived in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, so they'd figure out what to do in Iowa. So they'd take us to the Fields of Dreams or the Ertl Toy Factory or or Herbert Herbert Hoover's Grave, right? And so just different things, apple orchards or cornfields, you know, they would figure everything out, but there was one activity, I don't think it was meant to be an activity for us, but there was an activity that is burned into my mind. One time, when I was about nine or 10 years old, I remember going to a graveyard And grandpa was buying his gravestone, all right? I was so confused as a kid. I was like, hey, uh, you're not dead yet, all right? You're not dead yet, right? You're not dead yet. Like, why are you buying his gravestone right now? I, it was kind of scary to me. I'm like, really? Like, and he said, you know, yeah, well, you know, we want to make sure it's all taken care of. Are you dying? Like, what's going on? No, he bought this thing 30 years before he died. All right. And so he had this gravestone and etched on it was his name and my grandma's name and his birth date. A dash and then an empty section where whenever he died, that date would be filled in. I don't know why he brought us on that. It was etched in my memory forever. But it reminds me of this. Whether we buy our gravestones early or not, we all have a birthday, right? We all have a birthday, and we all have a dash, and that is our life. And then the Lord knows, he has the number of our days. He knows that when we will depart and die. You see, the people people often think of the gospel as something that is just at the beginning. But what Paul is showing and and explaining to us in the book of Romans, it's not just a beginning thing. The gospel, uh, the Bible says, makes you born again. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are born again. But too often people will place their faith in Jesus and treat that as a get out of hell free card like in Monopoly, right? All right, I I said yes to Jesus. I raised my hand in church and said, I want Jesus, right? I'm good. But we forget about the dash. We forget about the rest of our life, which the gospel is to influence. See, we have a spiritual birthday if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. But belief, true belief, will push you towards obedience and conformity to Jesus Christ. So, here's our main point this morning as we close off this series. Jesus is your beginning, he's your middle, and he's your end. The gospel of Jesus Christ is everything and to permeate everything in our lives. Let's talk about what the gospel does to do you first. Number one, the gospel establishes you. The gospel establishes you, Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Paul's last words are about God strengthening you. And we see here that if you uh, wanna be a person that is going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you need to be, in the CSB it says strengthened, on the ESV, it says established. Actually, I like that word better, established. You need to be established. Uh, this comes from the original word uh, that means uh, describes stability. Uh, It describes being firm and not shaken and and being constant. The gospel, when it enters into you and it begins to grow in you, makes you a spiritually stable person. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ makes you a consistent person. It strengthens you. And the gospel strengthens you to stand in the Lord no matter the circumstances. Now, doesn't mean that you're perfect when you place your faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean like, oh man, I'm perfect now. I got it all figured out. No, no, no. Uh, it means that the Holy Spirit comes to live in you when you place your faith and trust in Jesus to strengthen you, to guide you, to make you more like Jesus in every area of your life. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ establishes you <clears throat> and it makes you constant. It makes you stable. Now the opposite of being stable, I believe, uh, is rightly illustrated in the book of James, in James chapter one. Uh, and, and Paul probably would have been aware of, uh, of this scripture. So in James chapter one, the opposite of stability is illustrated this way, James chapter one, verse two. Uh, Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, Often uh, you are tested by the circumstances or when things are going really, really bad. That is what you really believe comes to the surface. So we see here James says, because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to anyone without finding fault, and he'll be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So a person without Christ is spiritually unstable, but you can have Christ and begin to live a life of instability again if you don't rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to be your strength, uh, to establish you. Uh, my in-laws, they live in Kenosha now, uh, they still own a jet ski, can't wait to get that out on Lake Michigan, that's going to be fun, uh, but they lived on a small lake prior to, to moving here, and that lake was typically pretty calm, uh, and so when they had a jet ski in the lake, I made sure, all right, I'm going to f- turn this, I'm going to do some 180s, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some figure eights, I'm going to get the waves going on this lake, all right, and it was pretty awesome, I, I even created some uh, fake waves uh, through the jet ski to where I even got some air, all right, it was, it was amazing, right? Uh, It was amazing for me, uh, but often this lake was filled with people on standing paddle boards, right? They'd stand, and they'd do the little, little, like, you know, and I'm like, what are they doing? You know, I I think think my in-laws owned one, too, and that's the only thing my wife would do. She'd go out there on the paddle board and... You know, and, and people go on the paddleboard, not even in their swimsuit, because the goal is you're not even going in the water. You're just going to stand there, right? I think it's so boring. Anyway, but but here's here's what happened. One day I was creating so much wave, uh, wake, uh, waves uh, by the jet ski. There was a nice little neighbor on their little paddleboard, and I noticed. I don't think I've ever told you this, uh, but uh, as I was uh, making waves, I noticed they're like, Ooh, and I was like, uh, maybe I should be making waves, but it's too late. I made too many waves where the person literally, in their clothes, falls off their paddleboard. All right. It was instability, I created unstable conditions. Well, what I want you to know is this, without the gospel ruling your life, yes, placing your faith and trust in Jesus which saves you, but yes, guiding you, establishing you, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're destined to be what the Bible says is double-minded, tossed to and fro by the waves. What does it mean to be double-minded? I heard it said this way, to be double-minded means that you are in a constant state of compromise. You are a person that falls under the influence easily of sinful vices. Again, I'm not saying to be perfect. I'm just saying that being like Christ isn't even on the radar. You give in the moment uh, that sinful vice enters the equation. Uh, you're, you're thinking, okay, I used to get drunk. Should I get drunk? This way? Sure, why not, right? But more uh, exactly, it's often a Christian knows the right things, but chooses to consistently do the wrong things. Whether it's getting drunk or gossip or anger or stealing or lusting, worshiping the wrong thing, worry. You know the right thing, but you choose not to do it. That is being double-minded. Doesn't matter all what you know, are you gonna put it into practice? Jesus says, blessed is the one who goes and does it. What fosters a double-minded person is often what that person chooses to listen to and hang out with. And if I can just be completely honest, I am honest, but if I can be completely candid, that might be a better word. Uh, I am absolutely shocked as a pastor how often people are led astray by people that should have no influence spiritually. Whether it be a blog, whether it be a friend, uh, whether it be a book, uh, and like, yeah, you know, I've been reading this book, I'm reading this blog. how, How could you listen to that? Isn't that obvious? But yet, if there's something not right in our heart, man, we could succumb so easily to the wrong influences in our life. I have seen it time and time and time again uh, throughout uh, my time in ministry. And so what fosters it is uh, people influencing you, the environments you choose uh, to stay in. Uh, The double-minded person will typically... Uh, be over the top, by the way. They they'll understand that they're double-minded. They'll be over the top. They'll they, they uh, if they're in the church world, they'll come across as a sage. Uh, they'll come across as a, a spiritual uh, guru using uh, big biblical words. And again, those things aren't necessarily wrong. But you know what I'm talking about when someone's trying too hard, and you realize, man, something's just not right here. Something's not right. They try to really hard to impress others or make others think that they're experts with God. Uh, Double-minded people spread their double-mindedness instead of godliness and it typically spreads uh, through pride, gossip, anger and it will result in division. James says a double-minded person is unstable in everything that they do. We are in an everyday battle in which the Bible says it's not against flesh and blood but it's a spiritual battle in the unseen and therefore uh, to be stable you cannot rely on yourself. You can't rely on on past spiritual experiences. You can't rely on past devotions or past church attendance. What are you doing with Jesus right now? How is your relationship with Jesus right now? It is my fear. Some of you may be sitting through uh, Empires Volume 1 through 4 and and, and actually you haven't grown at all or or maybe you've gone backwards. Uh, This is your opportunity right now to say, God, I I am going to quit playing games in the name of Jesus. I want to become more like you, Jesus double-minded person will take their focus off the gospel, and often in the name of Jesus, do things that are actually not of Jesus. Jesus must be your beginning. He must be your middle and your end. The gospel establishes you. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are made new, you're born again, but you're not made born again to stay the same. You're made born again to grow more and more like Jesus. You see, you can know the gospel establishes you and strengthens you. You can even take notes and and shake your head. Yeah, I agree with that. But the thing is, are you going to allow that uh, to change your life? Are you going to allow God's gospel uh, to strengthen you this morning? Look at verse 25 again. Uh, Verse 25 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Look at that first, the the, the first few uh, words here. Now to him who is able. That word able in the original language is dunamite. It's where we get dynamite. God is able, boom, to change you. You think, there's no way I can change her. I just keep on falling back into these things. Boom, let God enter in. When the Spirit of God takes over your life, I want you to know there are strongholds that, and, and things that you're being held back. I want you to know in your own strength, you cannot fix it. But the dynamite of God wants to enter you this morning. It's the same word, actually, Abel, uh, that dynamite word, dunami, that we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, uh, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then also the Greek. God's gospel is powerful. It can do exceedingly more than what you think God could ever do and what you could ever dream of doing. It's the power of God by the gospel of salvation to everyone who believes Everyone who is saved is saved the same way. It's not because you have something special in your life or you're stronger and now God recognizes you because you have certain talents. Wrong. Anybody and everybody who places their full faith and trust on Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection alone is saved. Everyone is saved the same way that is saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ by faith alone, by his grace, is by his power that we're even able to be saved, is by his power that he removes the scales from your eyes, is by his power that he's able to save you from the sins that hold you back, is by his power that he can save you from eternity in hell. By his power, when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, you become children of God. By his power, when he places his Holy Spirit in you, you're able to do ministry like you never could before. By his power to keep you in his grip. By his power, more powerful than anything in the universe. The power of God is able to heal, able to break strongholds, chains, addictions, self-centeredness, any sin. Therefore, we are not to be ashamed, Paul is saying. Why are we to be ashamed of something so miraculous, something so great than the gospel of Jesus Christ? We were dead spiritually, and through the gospel, we are made alive. So what is the mistake, then, of that many people make with the gospel? It's to reject the gospel or think that the gospel, uh, you need to add something to it. It's to reject it altogether or think that you need to add something to it. But it has nothing to do with you. You need to receive it. But Jesus Christ did everything to make you right with him. He went to the cross. He's a perfect sinless sacrifice. He saw everyone, every single bit of your sin, every single failure, and he forgave you. At the cross when you receive him. You got to receive it. But he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is finished. So it's a mistake to think that when we come to God with the gospel, that we bring something to the equation. We don't. But does that mean that we should live life as if when you receive the gospel, should we live life as we always have been before? The answer is no. One of Edda and Graham's favorite rides at Disney World is the Mickey Speedway, all right? It's not, my, my wife I can't stand it, but uh, it's, it's, their, it's their favorite ride. Uh, literally, uh, they let a five-year-old drive a go-kart, uh, and it's on a rail, so you literally can't go off the rails or, or else a lot of kids would die. Uh, but my, my son, my, my youngest, who's six, uh, he, he wanted to drive, and so he got in the car, he's super excited about it. His feet could not reach the pedals, all right? But it didn't matter, He didn't see the rail on the road that was gonna keep his car on. He didn't see that I was pressing down the gas and hitting the brake. He thinks all the driving's in the steering wheel, all right? So how did he drive the whole time? Like this. And I was doing this, getting some whiplash, right? (laughs) And it didn't matter to him. If it wasn't for the rail, we would have died, right? If it wasn't for hitting the brake, he'd hit the person in front of him. But he thought he was in charge the whole time. He thought the driving was in the steering wheel. Isn't that us sometimes? We sit in the driver's seat. We think, hey, I can turn this car. I can go whatever direction I want. I can go as fast as I want. And the Lord's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Let me tell you this. The Lord, the Lord is in control of our life. And he's asking us who will go for us. And he wants us to say, yes, yes, me, me. I want to drive, I want to drive, I want to drive. He's like, okay, I'm going to drive. He'll let you drive. But he's in control. This is how I don't have permanent neck damage. Is I realized if I just, it wasn't really a whisper because it was loud. But if I spoke into my son's ear, what direction to turn the wheel? He stayed, off, he stayed on the rail. He, he, stay, he stayed on the straight and narrow. Isn't that it with the Lord? We want to drive. We make a mess of our life or we, or we fall into a mess or there's something going on that's not ideal. And we think we're in charge. But the Lord hits the gas. The Lord hits the brake. But for us, what do we do? We need to hear the whisper. We need to hear the word. We need to be rooted and firmly planted into the revelation of which God has given us. And that's what's so important when we realize that it's God who strengthens us. It's not our own. It's not our own selves. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. To him who is able, boom, to keep you from going off the cliff. For him who's able to transform your life. The gospel establishes you. We're established by the gospel. Now notice Paul calls it my gospel. My gospel. When I read that first, I'm like, man, he's kind of... That, like, that might be a little wrong, Paul. But wait, it's in scripture. It can't be wrong. Okay, so uh, what do you mean my gospel? It's, it's Jesus' gospel. Uh-huh, that's right. He doesn't mean that he made this gospel up. He's not saying it's something he made up, but rather it's something that was handed down and it's in his possession. It's entrusted to him. You see, it's, it's Paul's gospel handed down to him by God himself. He was entrusted with this gospel by, by Jesus, by God himself, to be understood and be proclaimed to everyone and everywhere in the church. And when you receive the gospel, it becomes your gospel, not something that you make of it. It's entrusted to you by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to know it and to proclaim it. Because Jesus is your beginning. He's the middle and your end. But if we're going to keep on course in your life, not only does Jesus have to establish you with the gospel and strengthen you in the gospel, you must keep Jesus the point of the gospel. The gospel must stay on point. Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and to proclaim about Jesus Christ according to the revelation, the mystery kept silent for long ages. Notice this. The gospel's from Jesus. It's a believer's responsibility, to, according to verse 25. Uh, it's a believer's responsibility to stay on point. Look at this. According to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, the gospel isn't something that was just thought up. I remember one time I was sharing uh, the gospel at a school, and a bunch of these guys are like, Yeah, you know, these guys got in this room, and like they just kind of came together with the Bible. I'm like, That's, that's not how it happened. Right. We know that God spoke through 40 different people over the course of 1500 years. We we know that Uh, we get the perfect uh, word of God. But where did it come from? It didn't come from uh, human understanding. It didn't come from human will. It came from the revelation of God. And the gospel specifically was a mystery. Now, that word mystery means in Scripture hidden. It was a mystery to everybody that preceded Christ. Uh, People that were born in the Old Testament era and people that were born right up even before the cross, uh, they knew through scripture that a Messiah would come. And it was their responsibility to place their faith and trust in God, their faith and trust that, that God would save through a Messiah. And Christ was revealed on the cross and many rejected him. People reject him today. But that mystery has been revealed to something so glorious as the gospel. What's a mystery to us today? Well, I would say the mystery to us today now would be Christ's second coming. We know bits and pieces of it, but we don't know the day, time. We don't even know necessarily uh, all how, what will transpire in what order. That's a mystery to us. It's, it's hidden to us that will be revealed to us. The gospel does not originate from us. It originates from God. Works will not save you, but we live life to please God because of the gospel. And that's why it's important for us to understand that oftentimes the gospel, it gets so messed up with human understanding. It comes from the revelation of God. When God strengthens you by his gospel, it changes you, it gives you a new heart, it gives you a new way to live, and it gives you a new way to love. But remember, remember, Just because you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus doesn't mean that all the sin and vice is going to be gone in your life. And let's face it. Sin, you may have heard this message. Oh, sin isn't fun, right? Have you heard that one? Oh, sin just leaves you hanging. It's true. It's true. Sin ultimately isn't fun. But do you think if sin was like not fun ever, do you think people would be tempted to do it? No, no. I think one of Satan's greatest temptations is that sin in the short run can be very, very fun. And so I think we need to understand that as we grow to be more like Christ, after we say yes to Jesus in the gospel, you need to remember that Jesus is better than any sin or vice or anything this world can offer. God is better. God should strengthen us through the gospel to make us more and more like him. Dads, let me ask you this this morning. It's Father's Day. You are to lead the way and show your family, your spouse, your kids by your belief and action that Jesus Christ is number one. Is Jesus Christ number one? Is, Is there areas where you're just like, man, no, God's like number four, number five. Listen, you may indeed be a follower of Jesus Christ. You may indeed have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. But is it literally showing up in all Places. This is a place, maybe this morning, where you're like, man, I have failed. I have failed my kids. I have failed my family. I have failed all these different areas. And what I want you to know is this if you can hear my voice, you may have failed, but your identity is not a failure because the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. And today, you can begin to live and walk in the reality of new life and new living in Jesus Christ. You still have time to rekindle that relationship with your wife or your kids. Maybe today you're struggling, maybe anybody in this room, you could be struggling with just heavy pain, dark deep things that are happening in your life and maybe in this last year you have, you have tried to heal these areas of pain through intoxicating substances. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ did not free you to go get drunk or free you to numb yourself. The gospel of Jesus Christ freed you to see life as Jesus Christ wants you to see it. He has freed you to sobriety to be filled to the full with the Holy Spirit. Maybe this morning uh, money's an issue. Maybe the Maybe the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to needs change your heart on how you view money, how you spend it, uh, how you let it run your life. And maybe it's your anger. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for many years, but the gospel hasn't changed your anger. To live our life To live our life as however we want to use it is not living in the reality of a life that has said yes to the gospel. God expects us to keep the gospel on point because Jesus is the point. And the point is this, Jesus Christ came to save you. He came to save you who is spiritually dead without him. Jesus Christ is the point of the gospel that when you place your faith and trust in him, uh, you you will live a life that is different and that is changed. Think of it this way. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus... And the floor looked a little, let's say the stage was a little wobbly, all right? If you thought that you were gonna crash through this stage, the minute you stood on it, would you get up here and stand on it? Would you? No, you wouldn't. And yet, that's often how we treat the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we were like, okay, God, I, I know I need to trust you. I said I've trusted you. I've walked that aisle, I've raised my hand. I said yes to you. I just don't know. And when we place our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our life begins to reflect it. Jesus is the point of the gospel. It is not by works. You're saved by grace. But when you're saved by grace through faith, it begins to change your life. God expects us to keep the gospel on point. He is the point. Gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ saving you from your sins. But we live in a culture today that people want to make the gospel anything but. There's two sides to what happens to the gospel. Uh, One is the reductionist view. I'll call it the reductionist view. Uh, We have people that want to reduce the gospel into almost nothing. These people deconstruct the gospel into more of a social project or a cultural activity. Uh, These people make the gospel into just doing good. Listen, the gospel will push you to do good. But some people reduce the gospel into simply just doing good. That's wrong. Reductionists—they will—they uh, don't make Jesus the only way. They just make him an inspiration. This is typically found in progressive Christianity, where good works is the currency. I remember when I first came into uh, into a church, and they were preaching the right—I was—I was not the the main guy—but uh, they were preaching the right word. What I was hearing was correct from the stage. Uh, but in the seats, something wasn't connecting. There were were a number of grandmas in this church, and they they were nodding their heads, but their kids and their grandkids, they were sitting next to grandma twiddling their thumbs and realized that one generation's belief was not being handed down and, and not being received by their children and their children's children. And so there was a disconnect, what was happening on stage and what was happening out here. Man, I pray that never happens at Kenosha City Church. I do not want to preach you sermons. I don't want to preach you sermons just to preach sermons, right? I want to preach the word of God. I want to be faithful with the word of God so that we could all be transformed and be the people of God, amen? But what was happening in this situation where people were, they were reducing the gospel into something that it wasn't. They were reducing it almost into Nothing uh, into just social projects and cultural activity. And listen, social projects and cultural activity are a good thing, but it's not the main thing of the gospel. Let, listen, let me let me tell you how what happened. I was in a meeting, and they said, Andy, we know that you're really, really passionate about the gospel. I'm like, Well, I <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Like, we should all be passionate about the gospel, right? I'm like, Well, I'm just trying to follow the Bible, right? We should all be passionate about the gospel. Like, when people say that, I'm like, are you not? I, I, don't, I don't understand that, right? Like, thanks. I, is that a compliment? I guess. I don't know. Anyway, but <laughs> it just means I'm not off the rails, all right? So, but I'm passionate about the gospel. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, you always tell people, inviting people to church. You know, you're all, you always want to give the gospel when you preach. When I preach, you know, three times a year. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that, thanks, yeah, thanks. I, where, where's this heading? Well, we want you to know that that's you, but that's not us. I'm telling you, this been a what? I'm like jaw dropped. I'm like, excuse me, what, what do you mean? And they said, yeah, the gospel's about filling soup bowls and handing out coats. And I thought to myself, well, wait, filling soup bowls and handing out coats—that's not a bad thing. But that's not the heart of the gospel. People aren't saved because you gave them a coat. And listen, giving someone a coat when it's cold—that's good. People aren't saved when you fill a soup bowl. Listen, I worked a soup line for three years. I'm like, now nah, my head, soup lines are good, right? But just as Jesus said, the food goes in and it's gone the next day, right? Well, we're dealing with symptoms here. If we could put this in the symptomatic category, say here's symptoms of what we need to help out in the city, great, but what about the gospel? You're not about that? They weren't. And you know what happened? They got up from the meeting and left church and never came back. And they came, then they talked to their buddies. And they left the church and they never came back. Then they talked to their buddies. And they left the church and never went back. Because I didn't want to hand someone a coat. No, that's not what it was. Because they weren't about what we were about in that moment. That was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, the gospel is not some democracy about what we make it. It's not about, well, okay, this is Kenosha City Church's version of the gospel. Wrong. We want to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is revealed in Scripture, and we need to be stewards, handed down to us to be stewards where we can say, this is my gospel that I'm going to give out to you. It's for anybody and everybody who receives. It's not something we make of it. And yet often we want to make it into a democracy City Church, we're going to keep on point with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus, period. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we realize the gospel changes everything. And when the gospel changes everything, it gives us solutions to deal with the societal ills in society, the church should make a difference in the community. I hope that you are community difference makers in this room, but never devoid from what really matters and as the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we partner with people around the city. We partner with Youth for Christ. We're in many of the schools in this county. That's why we partner with Alliance Women's Clinic. It's why we, 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 we connect with Salvation Army when people have food needs. But the gospel is our foundational uh, it's the foundation for our society. It's a foundation against all societal ills. Without the gospel, we lose. And man, I'm going to tell you, when we started Empires Volume 1, I had people writing me emails after emails. What are we going to do to solve this? What are we going to do? Hey, Andy, I think we need to go to this, this community project. And, and it was, and I'm going to tell you, I read through the notes of all this, and all of it was humanistic garbage. Uh, inter- intersectionality, things that, that, that were completely just bonkers, left field bonkers. That they thought that somehow within us, We can go deep down in our heart and we can create a solution in ourselves. Listen, if the foundation isn't the gospel, we're building a house on sinking sand. Am I making sense? When we try to deal with societal ills or we try to reduce the gospel into just good works, it's putting frosting on a burnt cake. It's like pulling weeds but never getting to the root. Oh, it looks good for a few days. And they're like, wait, it's all back. Happened in my patio recently, right? I'm like, what happened there? Didn't get the roots. The reductionists take away from the gospel. They reduce it into just a humanistic work. We can never do that. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes hearts. It changes minds. It changes the spiritual trajectory of a person. Without that, I'm telling you, it's only temporary. On the other side, so you have the reductionist view, they reduce the view of scripture. On the other side, we have the legalist view. They like to, they like the gospel, but they like to add to it. They believe that the gospel plus something else will save you. So sometimes it's gospel plus. So uh, Baptism, and they'll save you. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. That's not true, baptism is, is an act of obedience. If you've never been baptized, you need to do it to be obedient before the Lord, but it's not part of salvation. Did you get that, right? Uh, but people sometimes like to add baptism uh, as part of salvation. Other people are like, okay, well it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, plus, um, plus dressing a certain way, or, or, or plus you know, acting a certain way, or, or, or plus going through certain catechisms, or, or anything. The gospel plus anything else is not the gospel. And yet, this is exploding. Adding to the gospel, the legalist view that somehow that through your good works, your your legalism, you can get to God or God loves you more. And let me just kind of drop it on this right now. You might not say theologically the gospel plus something equals salvation. You might say, no, 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 it's only the gospel. It's only grace by faith, right, in Jesus Christ but you may be exhibiting the legalistic mannerism of getting God's love through your attitude, through a self-righteous attitude that somehow because the way that you worship, what you know in Scripture, the spiritual gifts that you have, and everybody else just so lacking. I've heard that before. People will come in, they'll say, man, I just, I love this church, but man, the people here need to wake up. I'm like, who are you, right? Wake up, like what? What, what do you want them to do, levitate during worship? I mean, what, what's going on? Like what? I, I, what, what do you want? I didn't, I didn't ask a fruit inspector to come in here today, right? But they come in, you've met them, obviously. And they look down at others, Simply because they're just not good enough or they don't exhibit the piety that they give off. You've seen this, right? It, it kind of makes me, makes me want to throw up a little bit, right? Then you're welcome here if you're doing that. We hope you recover. We, we're all recovering, all right? Recovering some way or not. But like when people don't want to recover this way, th- this really angered Jesus, all right? When people thought that somehow they were bringing something to the table that made them better and top tier more so than them. Kind of reminds me of the Pharisee, right? God, hear my prayer. I am, I am so holy and pious. I give all this money. And I, I, love, I love like what the other guy said, right? He beat his chest. He said, God, I'm a sinner. Tax collector. see, we're not going to be that church. Conor City Church, we are going to be a church where we realize Uh, that we are not perfect people, but that we are people being made new in Jesus Christ. We're gonna be a church that we believe the gospel is our foundation by grace and faith alone, but we believe that the gospel will push you uh, to change. We believe the gospel is always the point to everything that we do. Paul had to deal with some legalistic ideas in the Philippian church. In Philippians 1.15, he said this, it's true that some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is this, in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of that, I rejoice. What Paul is saying here is, hey, there are some people, there are some Christians out there that are preaching the gospel, and I can't imagine that he would rejoice if this was a false gospel. So they must be preaching the real gospel. But yet they had an attitude to self-righteousness. Uh, they were preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry, not out of goodwill. They were preaching the gospel not to see people won to Christ, but to harm Paul. Paul was in prison. And to be in prison, he was in prison for Jesus. And to be in prison for Jesus in this time was a social no-no. And what was happening is some Christians and some pastors they're like hey you know that Paul guy yeah he's in prison and they would rip him apart in their messages and their sermons and Paul's bottom line was this all right you know what we should be preaching Jesus out of goodwill but if Jesus is being preached and people are being won to Christ guess what we rejoice in that. Christian maturity is through the constant process of growing in Christ because of the gospel of Jesus. I love this quote from Jerry Bridges. He says, This many Christians have what we might call a cultural holiness. They adapt to the character and behavior pattern of Christians around them as Christian culture around them is more or less holy. So these Christians are more or less holy. But God has not called us to be like those around us, He has called us to be like Himself. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. The gospel must drive our middle, must drive our life. Yes, he is our beginning, but he is our every day. And yes, we can encourage one another. The scripture says that we iron sharpens iron, right? Uh, That we are to encourage one another in the church. But let me tell you this right now. Uh, We are ultimately not to be like somebody in the church. We're to be like Jesus Christ. Right? The Western church is in real danger of losing this. through either reducing the gospel or adding to the gospel through self-righteousness. The gospel is a point. Jesus is your middle, your beginning, middle, and end. The gospel must be on point always. It is not something else. We cannot make it something else. We will be a broken record here. We will bring the gospel up each and every week. Yes, we'll talk about topics. Yes, we'll we'll go into things that are relevant. Yes, we'll go over all these different things, but I want you to know this right now. If it's devoid of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we don't crack our Bible open, if we don't give a gospel presentation, if we don't teach people how to be in right relationship with Jesus, we've missed it all. So finally... The gospel, it secures your future. Romans 16, 26 to 27, last two verses of all of Romans. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. The gospel is our Answer through the gospel. We do not have to fear our future because we have. Hope Because of the gospel, we do not have to respond the way the world responds. We respond with hope. With the gospel, we don't have to get angry the the way the world gets angry. We don't have to tear down people when they disagree with us. We don't have to be people of cancel culture. We don't have to be be people that are vindictive. We are people of hope. And when people are opposing you, know they oppose the Savior. Don't be opposed because you're you're being mean and and, and you're in sin and, and you're just being a jerk, right? You want to be opposed for doing the right things. And so know this, even when the world isn't treating you the right way, even when Christians are not treating you the right way, give them Jesus every single time. Go back to the gospel. Remember how you were saved out of darkness. Remember how you were once spiritually dead. Remember how maybe you, even as a believer, strayed. Go back to the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Man, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Man, if you've been in the church world for a while, that is the most famous verse in scripture. But drink it in like it's the first time you've ever heard it. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That when you believe in him, you will not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. How could you not burst out in praise with a doxology? Great are you, God. Thank you that you took us, who were spiritually dead, that we can now be made alive. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that I bring nothing to the table, but you brought it all, you bought it all, and we get to receive it all. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't just respond to an inspiring person that went to the cross. We worship a God who went to the cross, who went to the ground and rose from the dead because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Thank God we serve a living God. Thank God because of that, you and I are made alive. Thank God when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit to make us alive, to do what we are incapable of doing by ourselves. Thank God that we have a hope in our every day, and thank God we have a hope that Jesus Christ is coming back and that we will spend forever with Him. How could the gospel not let you just burst out in praise? Amen? And this is our mission, Kenosha City Church. This is our mission. Verse 26, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith Among the Gentiles. The Gentiles was the unbelieving world. Paul ends what many theologians call the most significant book in the Bible with the plea to you and me, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make him known. Here's our application for the week. Your homework. Identify what pulls your attention away from the gospel. Where does the gospel need to be? Now again, I'm not saying that, you know, when you're, the gospel is like, okay, I need to share the gospel with you right now. All right, uh, God, you know, God went to the, Jesus Christ went to the cross. He rose from the dead. Like it could be explicit and it needs to be explicit, but there's other times that how could the gospel guide you as like an operating system, a foundation of whatever you do at work, how you respond to people, what you fight for, Identify what pulls your attention away from the gospel. What is it? Who have you been sharing the gospel with? Who have you been sharing Jesus with? If you really believe that Jesus is Savior and he can snatch people from the flames of hell and that hell's a real place and that heaven's a real place, how can we be complacent with this? We can't. And by the way, you might be thinking, number three, you might be thinking, I don't even know how to share my faith. I don't even know how to, to articulate what I believe. I know I believe, I just don't know how to say it. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to bring it up. And listen, here's the deal. Bringing it up isn't just like the guys on the street corners with the signs screaming at people. Actually, we don't want you to do that, all right? Uh, we, we, we want you to relationally and lovingly and relentlessly share Christ in every situation in your life. How do you do that? Well, guess what? We have a class next week that starts at the end of service, end of second service. It's called Equip. We're gonna equip you with a number of different things here, but we're gonna start off with the gospel and apologetics. How to know and articulate what you believe and how to do it in a lovingly, relentless way. And I underline lovingly. We're gonna talk about uh, how to do it in a way to where people feel honored even if they say, no, I'm not interested. So you can sign up. With, I believe, uh, there may even be a QR code if we could throw up on the screen uh, where you can even sign up for that right now. So let's pray. We've ended Romans, landing on the last four verses of a doxology. And it's really just a summary of what we've been saying all along Jesus is the point. And you're to go with the gospel. That saves you. So, Father, I pray uh, for the church right now. God, I pray that uh, you indeed would arise a, a generation here at this church. That we would go into this city, into our county, into our region, to lovingly and relationally, to lovingly and relationally place our faith and trust in you in all areas of our life. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this place right now that doesn't know you as Savior. Lord, I just pray, God, uh, that you, uh, that they would make right with you right now. That they would make right with you right now. In fact, as everybody continues to pray, I just want to speak to anybody in this room right now. If you are uncertain or know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know you can have one today. Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for your sins, past, present, and future. He paid for your sins. Why does he need to pay for your sins? Because sins separate you from Almighty God. You see, God created you. Uh, I know the world says that you're an accident. You're not. You're not an accident. In fact, the Bible says you were fearfully, and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. And you were made to have a relationship with God. But you sinned. You did wrong. And that sin separates you from Almighty God. That sin can't be removed by joining a good cause or or doing good works or making a purpose out of yourself or even finding your true self. No, that doesn't do it. The Bible says your righteousness, your self-righteousness is but filthy rags. The Bible says this too. The wages, that means the outcome of your sin is death, spiritual death, eternally, in a place the Bible calls hell. The wages of sin is death. But this is where the good news comes in but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you want to be made right with Jesus, you need to receive the gift that he's willing to give you right now. The gift is this, it's Jesus. What he did on the cross, he paid for your sins, past, present, and future. is a perfect sinless sacrifice. When he died on the cross, he rose from the dead three days later. And our responsibility and how we receive that gift by telling Jesus right now, Jesus, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, that you're God. I believe in my heart that you were risen from the dead. I'm crying out to you right now. I want to be saved. If that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if today you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, you want him to forgive you of the sins that separate you from him, you want to be made right with God, with no one looking around, if that's you today, you want to be made right with God. You want to place your faith and trust in him. Will you just slip up your hand? Just say, yeah, that's me. I want to place my faith. Thank you. I want to place my faith. Thank you. I see you as well. Faith and trust in Jesus. As hands go up, is there any more? Just go ahead. Raise your hand if, that, if you haven't yet. Thank you. I see you. Awesome. Awesome. Lord Jesus, thank you for those today that are placing their faith and trust in you. In fact, if today uh, you're responding to the Lord, just pray with me. This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just helping you communicate to God, maybe perhaps the first time. Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong in my life. I've sinned. I need you to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for everybody in this room now that you would prepare us for a season of increased ministry, increased ministry. And so, Father, I pray that the gospel would be the point and that our life, our work, wherever we're at, God, we would see you show up and we'd be willing to stand up and say, God, use me, use me. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode.